Your Fluid Journal is data and it is your checking account registered. Every day you have a financial budget. When I give them your calorie count, I said you have $2,000 today to spend. Go beyond that, you go into debt. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. In this conversation, Matt Terry and I catch up again to discuss how his nutrition practices have changed after our last discussion in April of 2019 on episode 70, and we discussed plant-based dieting intervention and cancer specifically. Now, in this episode, we talk about how Matt uses functional medicine testing to assess his current client's needs, how his personal eating patterns have changed throughout the years of assessing not only his own needs and lifestyle, but that of his clients, and the ways in which he's applied his clinical studies to his clients and life to help create the best results possible. We nerd out a bit on protein intake and cancer. We talk blood sugar medications and testosterone and specifically dietary interventions, at least for Matt, for testosterone optimization. And finally, we dive into nutrition and lifestyle prescription for morbidly obese clients and the lifestyle behaviors that are not only relevant for them, but for anyone working to create long-term change by changing our mindset around food and dieting. If you find something that resonates with you in this episode, please share this with a friend, leave a five-star rating and positive review, and let me know if you want to have a conversation about how we can work together. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt Terry. Matt Terry, welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. What is up, brother? Hey, Ben. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, It's been a couple years. I think it's been actually closer to three or maybe two and a half years since we last spoke, at least on the show. We had you on episode number 70, and I think that was in uh, April of 2019. So it's been a minute. What has been going on with you? Just uh, just growing, helping people, learning more, just doing different things, you know, just uh, expanding what we do. And, and what is it specifically that you guys do, Matt? So my partner and I own a brick and mortar studio in, in person in Kansas City. And so it's uh, just personal training. So it's kind of what we work on there. It's, uh, primarily just like weight loss and corrective exercise, that type of stuff. And then yeah. online, I'll work with people with nutrition and functional health type of things. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a bit more than just personal training. We were talking a little bit before you said you you leverage functional medicine and diagnostic testing with the vast yes. majority of your clientele. What does that look like for you guys? How do you do that? Why do you do that? I'm curious. The testing is always based off of what A, a person's goals are, and then B, you know, whatever their symptoms are, what they might be experiencing or working on. So in the past, you know, you're kind of guessing a lot of protocols you might run or things you might think you see. So where now we'll drill down, get really specific. And, and generally what I'll typically do is we start with full blood panels, I'll do hair analysis, and we'll do stool, depending on what kind of what's going on with the person. There's some other hormonal stuff. We might have some some bigger backgrounds, like some cancer or maybe some really um, harsh autoimmune issues. We might do some more detailed testing to really decide what protocols we're going to do, where we're going to start, what nutritional guidelines we're going to use. Like so we can really get everything really tailored to the person. And um, between that and really just Focusing on, I think, just making it as personal as we can. The client is controlling the pace of kind of how we're moving through things. Really kind of changed instead of like really trying to push people hard to get results. It's more yeah. of like just taking them at their pace and just kind of working them through with life and what's going on. Because some of the people we work with have a lot of things going on in terms of yeah, health of course. and other things. So it's more just like 
really sitting out the person, really listening to them, finding out what they really want to work on, and then looking for those needs, and then using the lab testing to find the gaps, and becoming really specific on the recommendations you make, so we're testing, not guessing, and then uh, really getting it dialed in for the person. What, what have you observed as the difference between getting more quote unquote individualized with the functional medicine testing for most people that are coming in for weight loss? I think there's obviously foundational principles that need to be addressed regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what's going on with respect to gut health and digestion mm-hmm. and mineral deficiencies and organic acid profiles and adrenal function, all of those types of things. What is the biggest discrepancy that you've realized over the years of starting to create that more individualized process by mm-hmm. virtue of the functional testing in order mm-hmm. to facilitate the foundational behaviors? Sure. It's a good question. So I think, I think you're right. What you'll really see is in 90, I mean, the foundations are always the foundations regardless of someone's condition, right? Calories are always going to matter, you know, yeah. and food choices and other things, you know, lifestyle habits, sleep, stress management, exercise, movement, you know, like all these things always matter. And those are the base of the programs we run with everybody. But I think the difference is what the testing has really seen is, you know, you'll you'll have some people who, and I usually see this more with women, and it's usually menopausal or perimenopausal, you know, someone going through a hormonal change, or when people, and, and this would be like maybe they've been really burnt out and stuck in a really stressful situation for a yeah. really long time. That's where you see like some things don't really work that well. You know what I mean? Where the foundation yeah. still, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's where yes. we're kind of like running into some like, well, you know, like, Yes, they're managing calories, yes, they're managing, but they're just not that makes sense. in great progress. And then, well, when you dig into it, like you're talking about menopause and perimenopause, we're going through the change, like as progesterone and hormones drop, like, you know, so does sleep suffer. When all of a sudden, like things don't really kind of work like they did and they're not working as fast as they did. And then, you know, we're, we're, we were trying to get really detailed. And in the past, really, till we started really digging into this, I think a lot of people think, well, I'm not seeing progress because it's my hormones. 95% of the time, you're just really eating too much mm. and your lifestyle is poor and you're not right. doing the right thing. That's that's really what it is. And even for people who do have some hormone problems and are stuck in these burnout situations and do have some, you know, what we would call HP access dysfunction instead of adrenal fatigue, and they have a lot of these problems, like one of those situations, yeah, that's where the lab testing can really show them, especially like, here's your numbers. This is not subjective. We're not guessing on this. This isn't something that we're just like pseudoscience pulling out of here. This is what's going on. You know, for example, if you see someone who's like has issues with skin issues and we've got all these histamine problems and we're talking about making these food changes and like, well, is gluten really a problem? And then I run a wheat zoomer. I run a, you know what I mean? I run a full gut profile. I'm like, it is a huge problem. And here's all the data that's showing this. So then I think with that, as you're really being able to get really detailed and they see the data, then it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe that, that is a problem for me. I should make these changes. And then by doing that, I think being really detailed and getting good laboratory data, then they it gives them like visual proof of like, oh, this is a problem for me and I should make these changes. Or right. yeah, my hormones, well, like I had, a, I had a client, for example, and she was saying that uh, she'd come to me and her goals only was like 15 pounds and she lost a lot of weight on her own. She's like, you know, it's got to be my hormones. It's got to be my thyroid. It's got to be this. And I said, send me your food log. And I said, give me one Monday through Sunday, not the best days of your life. I need to see what you're actually doing. Send your actual log. She's a 138 pound person. She's 3,500 calories on Saturday and Sunday. You don't have hormone problems. You eat too much. And once we kind of educate her on that, like she went all the way down to 124 pounds with no problem. Right. So in the past, we might be like, well, maybe it is hormones. You know, it's like, no, you eat too much. And once we can really get down to the basics, people see a lot of really good progress. But then if we do have some of those issues that are like, well, we need to look under the hood and see kind of what's going on, then we can have data and can support it better. But the basics are still the basics and they're still going to matter for everyone regardless of your condition. 
Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. And I imagine that really does come into handy when you are working with, for, per se, like the perimenopausal, postmenopausal mm -hmm. female who's doing all of the quote unquote right things, right? They're moving enough and they're strength training and they're eating in a proposed calorie deficit and like nothing's moving and what's going on. Is it hormones or is there some level of gut dysfunction mm -hmm. going on that's contributing mm -hmm. to inflammation or whatever? Right. 100%. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's pretty cool how you've been able to integrate that into your business. The last conversation we had was really, really interesting because you had kind of made this massive shift in your life. If you're listening to this right now and you haven't listened to episode number 70 with Matt, you need to go back and you need to just, just stop this, go back, listen to episode number <laughs> 70, because it was, it was an awesome episode packed full of knowledge bombs and clinical pearls. But some of the things that we had talked about was your previous cancer diagnosis, how you went straight vegan. And at the current time of that episode, you're vegan. So I'd love to know like where you're at now, a couple of years sure. later. So it's a, so that's a really good question. So seven years ago, and it was after my last bodybuilding show and my appendix ruptured based off a failed ketogenic diet experiment. And um, that's when they found a tumor in my kidney. It was about 3.5 centimeters on the size of my kidney. And then I had one in my hip. Um, and I have one on my thyroid. There's, the thyroid and the hip are believed to be benign. The, the kidney is believed to be malignant. So as I dug in the research on that, I was like, well, if mTOR is controlled by certain amino acids, if I lower these amino acids, then I can lower growth. So then what I did is I did not have surgery. I did not have any treatment. I still have my tumors. I kept them on purpose because I wanted to see if what I was doing was working. And I also wanted to see, you know, if it was surgically resected, I wouldn't know if what I was doing was working and I didn't want to worry about a recurrence. So I chose a, a specific route. So I get annual scans. I'll run my own labs. I do everything. And then I record it and I track it. So for like years, I was like, I mean, when I first started, yeah, I was straight, straight vegan. And I was raw vegan for like two years. And I was mm. a fruitarian for about eight months. And then I, so I tested all these different um, dietary styles and then I would go in and have a scan done and say, well, what happened here? You know, and then I got into more um, research in terms of, okay, well, where I'm at now is I'm still largely plant-based, probably 90%, but I do eat animal products. Right? And I just largely got tired because I realized more importantly, like, a certain amount of protein is really important for both my goals and longevity. I don't need as much as really think we used to have. So I have lowered my protein intake. And really what I do is if you look at the studies on protein quality, they really assume that 50% of your daily protein only comes from animals. The other 50% is just kind of what made up in your diet. So I was like, okay, well, I'll mimic that with my diet. So half of my protein is animal. The other half is just what comes over in my food. And then from there, as I re kind of redid my labs and kind of reintroduced more animal products to test that lab, then I would go and have scans, see whether I had any changes. I just never had any changes negatively. So I was like, I kind of use the scans in addition to my labs to see how it would change what I was doing. Um, and then I actually found some really cool research on off-label drugs and different therapies that you can do to control mTOR, to grow growth pathways, and to control free fatty acid synthesis and some other things that tumors would soak up. In my research, I found like they don't just use glucose, they'll use glucose, they'll use protein, or they use fat. And each kind of tumor or cancer has what's called a metabolic phenotype. And it will primarily use different ones for different things. So for example, mine's kidney, the primary metabolic phenotype for kidney is glucose and fat. So what I really did is I kind of kept my diet equal in both of those. And then I take some off-label drugs like metformin, doxycycline. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I rotate a statin from time to time because it does help block a lot of various pathways. Um, and then I'll rotate in something called uh, mabenzinol. So I kind of rotate in these different drugs and I did for quite a while um, to kind of slow the growth and see what was happening. And then um, luckily everything has panned out and it's there, but it's slightly smaller. 
And that's kind of just kind of my new lifestyle now is it's more of a, if you were like a true bodybuilder, clean lifestyle where I don't drink, I don't, I've never smoked, but I just eat well. I train, yeah. I focus on sleeping, I focus on moving, take a few supplements, I constantly monitor my labs, but I really more focused on the emotional side of it, managing stress. Cause I think that was really the bigger contributor to the anything than anything else was. Yeah. And that's really where I've been focusing on a lot recently. I'm curious about the metformin. Are you taking that more for a blood sugar management tool or an mTOR suppressor? mTOR suppressor. So I take it as a preventative because if you actually look at the really cool biochemical pathways with mTOR uh, or metformin rather, it will block mTOR. It will block IGF-1. It will block fatty acid synthesis. And you stack it with the statin, you can basically block protein, glucose, and fatty acid uptake by tumors. And if you look at the research on that, where they really found this is if you stack a certain type of statin, because you have to have lipophilic basis statin, there's hydrophilic based statins, right? So water loving and fat loving. The lipophilic based statins, which the one I take is uh, atorvastatin. The difference there, if you look in the statin research is some will show that statins increase cancer growth. You have to understand the mechanism of action. So cancer cells need cholesterol to, to proliferate and make their cell membranes. So certain types of statins, the hydrophilic or water-based statins shut cholesterol production only off of the liver, but it upregulates cholesterol production in the rest of the body. So then the cancer cells will move looking for cholesterol to metastasize. Got that's it. the statin that's a problematic. So atorvastatin and some of the lipophilic-based statins, they shut cholesterol production on the body head to toe. A really high-dose atorvastatin has really amazing results on things that are primarily fatty acid-driven, like melanoma and prostate cancer, which are largely fatty acid-driven. Do you supplement with like CoQ10? You know, I will off and on. CoQ10 is really interesting because when you get into antioxidant supplementation, we have cancer, it becomes a double-edged sword. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. So I would pulse CoQ10. Um, I never noticed any of the cramping or side effects from the statin. I actually haven't taken it now for probably a year. I was really kind of off and on it for a long time. I do notice like when I was kind of pulling apart my cholesterol and an MMR lipid profile, I was noticing like my LPLA is actually pretty high genetically, even though my other cholesterol markers are really awesome. But I did notice by kind of pulsing the statin, I've been able to cut that number in half. And so I was like, well, let me come off the statin for a while and see what happens. And it climbed right back up. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So for me, at least looking deeper into mine, I do like it occasionally because it kind of keeps it knocked back a little bit. Yeah. And I will alternate that with berberine. And berberine will kind of do the same thing. So I kind of, and, and niacin. The, just, just to clarify, you'll alternate the metformin with berberine? Is I take them both. Yeah, I take okay. them both every day. But berberine will um, modify your lipids like a statin will. So I was pulsing the berberine and the statin. I would kind of alternate them. But okay. it's funny because I did notice maybe last year when I was taking the statin, I did notice all of a sudden I started getting some body aches and some and like just fatigue from it. So I kind of started pulling away from it. So I I really just rely on berberine now um, for kind of like lipid remodeling just to kind of control um, in addition to the metformin for glucose. That's super interesting. Within that, you had mentioned, I said pull away from the clinical, but I still would like to know just briefly mm -hmm. about your use of testosterone and the benefits mm -hmm. that you found with that over the past couple of years since you, yeah. you brought that up. Yeah, it's awesome. So I, I'm 43 now and my background is Olympic athlete. I competed in, in the Olympic weightlifting and strength sports forever. I've done bodybuilding. I played college football. So I was just really genetically gifted for strength sports. So I've always done that. Um, and I was always kind of intrigued by testosterone anyway, because I couldn't take it when I was competing. And I was always really wondering, like, does it really work? You know, because I've never taken it. And some guys are like, oh, it doesn't do anything. And some guys are mm. like, it's amazing. You know, obviously right. the dose of everything is anything. So when I turned 41, I just really noticed, like, my back was killing me all the time. And my just really my joints, you know, just weren't really recovering from training anymore. 
And one of my clients is head of cardiology at a local hospital, but he has also done a ton of testosterone studies on longevity and health, cardiovascular health and joint health. And we were talking one day and, and he's like, you know, you should actually look into TRT. And I said, yeah, but my overall testosterone is really high. He's like, yeah, but he's like, but you're not recovering anymore. Like you even you like, should. I mean, were free levels good too, obviously. So my total was 938. My free was seven. So my free actually really uh, sucked in relation, yeah, to right. <laughs> in right. relation to total. That's incredible. That's insane. By yeah, the no, way. it was really, really, and my sex hormone globin is not high. It's like 35. So yeah. I was like, that's weird. So anyway, he was like, well, your free testosterone should be more about 20 to 30. He's like, so right. you technically do have very low testosterone. And I remember I was really tired. Yeah. And there was a lot of times when I would come home from work, you know, you know, from working long hours and things and like being on your feet all day and working with people. There's, there's a lot of times I would come home and I would just walk in the door and like, man, I'm just exhausted. Now take a nap. Yeah. And on the weekends, I would sleep all the time. And I was still sleeping and still training throughout the week. We'd bought a rental property. And every weekend in, in the, that beginning of that year when I started, we were driving down there every weekend to pick this place up. Why well, squat every Friday? So every Friday, I was driving down there in my truck. I was just, my back was killing me. And I noticed once I started uh, TRT and the longer I was on it, my back stopped hurting. Mm. And all of a sudden, I was like, I wasn't turning the heated seat on my truck. I wasn't like trying to ice my back on the drive. I wasn't getting out like in a ton of pain. I was like, and then for years, even since I competed as an Olympic lifter, like 25 years ago, this wrist has just been destroyed and it's always very painful. And that doesn't hurt at all. And I was like, well, that's pretty fascinating. I noticed just joint health. And then I was, I was so tired. I was, I was taking so much caffeine. I was just up to probably a thousand milligrams of caffeine. Cause I get up at four, you know, you work <laughs> right. people all day. And yep. then I was like, damn, this is just like, this is not good. So when I first started TRT, I got so much energy from it. I immediately found like this caffeine is insanely too high. So now I probably only use like 75 milligrams of caffeine a day max. Mm, a couple glasses of nice. tea, that's yep. about it. So I noticed for me like way better well-being, way better joint health, way better energy. And I, I also really noticed like mentally, my focus was unbelievably sharper and my, my recall was insane. And I, I could speed read again. I could retain it even if I was being like multitasking and sidetrack. I mean, it was, it was a game changer. Uh, you created a lot of change, right? I mean, you changed your diet. You obviously changed your training routine. You were more mindful. You were doing meditation. You were managing stress. You prioritized the important things in your life. And yet, you know, it didn't seem like those, those hormones were changing. What do you attribute that to? You know, I don't know. And I, I think that's really interesting is tracking my blood work constantly and changing between dietary patterns. I thought this was interesting. When I was vegan, my total testosterone was lower. It was about 500, but my free testosterone was about 55, which was yeah. weird. And right. then when I went back to, and every time I go back to eating meat, my total will go up and my free sinks every yeah. time. So I don't, I mean, because my sex hormone my glabin wasn't changing and I don't eat dairy products at all. So I was like, well, it's not from estrogen. My estrogen is very low. Uh, especially in relation to my total testosterone. My total testosterone now is probably 1,500, 1,600. My estradiol is like 34. I mean, it's never high. And even when I started on testosterone, like I don't aromatase at all. When I first started, my estrogen was 33. Now it's 34. Like it just doesn't change. So I don't aromatize at all. And I think just the combination of working with a ton of gut health issues and other issues, I've fixed some of the aromatization issues, but I still don't know why the free was that low. Yeah. Other than, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said about just modern day living. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, I mean, just like, again, for get 4 a.m., working 12, 14 hour days, working hard, training hard, mm -hmm. uh, all of the stressors from youth, being in front of lights all day, environmental sure. toxicity, air, water. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's relevant. 
Yeah. And if you've listened to Andrew Huberman at all, he talks about his uh, um, journey with testosterone and he was essentially identical to me. He was 41. His total was over 900. His free sucked. And he started on testosterone, did a very low dose. I take 140 milligrams a week. I take a very low dose. You go sub Q? No, I started sub Q. So I actually do shoulders. So I do intramuscular. Okay. There's some interesting stuff on that. So I, I did see some stuff from the sub Q and they kind of claim you get like a 40% lower hematocrit rate, even though like when you tease out that math, it does not add up. So I don't know how they got that in that study. Um, they do a lot of sub Q and gender transformations, like especially when you're going to like female to male and they're trying to get the more male characteristics. So it does work, but I moved to intramuscular because I noticed uh, sub Q sometimes you'll get nodules from the oil when, when you inject it in the skin. And I just, I didn't care for that. And then sometimes when you inject in the fat tissue there, it gets kind of puffy. So it just kind of makes sure you, you get like these little like kind of puffy marks. But I noticed when I would do it in intramuscular, like never had a problem. I felt good. The thing I actually played with that I thought was interesting is I, I actually inject really frequently. So I do low dose every day. Yeah. Versus, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Like I usually do about 20 milligrams every day. And what I've noticed on that is I'm never tired. And every day I feel awesome. When I tried to do the bigger bolus doses farther apart, what I would notice is I get these good days and then I would immediately feel like crap the next two or three days until I injected, even if it's only two or three days apart. So for me, Very I've noticed more frequently, I feel much better. Very interesting. From what I understand, it does seem to be very, very individualized in terms of dosing frequency, obviously amount, site, you know, all that good stuff. So I don't take any aromatase inhibitor or anything. Yeah, I yeah, only yeah. take testosterone. I well, we know I, I, any, any physician that's somewhat progressive now is understanding the cardioprotective nature of estrogen mm -hmm. and not wanting but, to suppress yeah. that. Oh yeah. And even some of the cardio um, problems that the AI, that the AIs, even microdosing AIs, will show they're starting to see micro blisters in the vascular system from AI use, even if you use very low doses. I also know guys that I would work with, pro athletes, sometimes other people who are on very large doses of testosterone and PEDs, and when they would go on robotase inhibitors, their personality would unbelievably change. They get anxious. They couldn't get. They had brain fog. Their libido tanked. Their joints would hurt, and they would have a lot of mood stability problems. And it's from the AI. And so yeah. with that, even when I work with guys, I'm like, even on estrogen, like there's other ways we can lower it versus crashing it through the floor artificially. And so that, that can be a problem for some people. For sure. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's, let's kind of progress into how has your, how have you kind of been working with people over the years? You mentioned that you started working more and more with morbidly obese uh, yeah. clients. What, what was the impetus for that? And how, what does that look like for you guys? When I was young, I was morbidly obese. So I understand that mindset. Tons of eating disorders. I had bulimia for a long time. Um, when I was a weight class athlete, I had bulimia. And then um, really just orthorexia for a really long time. And understanding, yeah. you know, that, that faulty mindset of if you're not eating clean, that's why you're fat. That's totally. it. That's why you're fat. You know, carbs make you fat. Sugar makes you fat. Anything makes you fat, which is horse shit. And so once that drives eating behavior, that drives eating disorders. Right. And that drives the misconception that I have to be perfect on my diet and that calories don't count, you know, and just it drives a lot of really emotions because what people don't get is, especially when you're really overweight, your food is your coping mechanism and your food is what makes you happy. And when you pull those coping mechanisms away from people, they struggle, they struggle fast. And so, what I've recently shifted with, and these are my biggest clients now are 600 pounds. Um, the largest couple I work with is a thousand pounds between them. And so, 
I work with those people because A, I know what it's like to have addictive issues with food and think about it 24-7 and always think about food and struggle with it. And so I have a lot of compassion for that, but I also know how to work with those people and those those big changes, right? Like you're you're gonna pull 200 pounds off someone, that's gonna take a couple of years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're pulling big, you know, to make the lifestyle changes so they don't revert back and go through all the holidays and birthdays and like work through the mindset of all this stuff, it takes a long time. It's a lot of unwinding of just bad information they've learned. And so that's really what it's more mindset. It's really more psychological, especially with very large obese people is really what I work with is more the psychological. So it's, you basically just watch the biggest loser on repeat and you copy all of the shit that they do on there. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty much all you need to know. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Get out of them, start the crap out of them. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Totally. Oh, brutal. Uh, So what are like some of the biggest needle movers that we wouldn't invariably think, because obviously we want people to move more. We want them to find ways to eat less, but obviously it's so much psychological. So like, what are the biggest things that you start with, with people that might be helpful for our listeners? Thanks. A great question. I don't change food choices at all in the beginning at all. I don't give a shit what they eat. I really don't. I manage the calories. I make sure they eat a certain amount of protein and I don't care. I don't even comment on the food choices. To to clarify that you manage their calories. So are they tracking their food? Yes. So I have okay. to track my fitness pal. So I actually take people through a very specific system. Let's say that you're a 600 pound person coming in. The first thing I do is say, you're going to practice at first. All you're going to do is you're, I'm not going to have you change anything you do. I'm going to have yeah. you practice tracking my fitness pal. That's all I want you to do. That's it. That's it. And so I first have them practice an eyeball. I don't have weight. I don't have measure. And they're going to lose weight because they're tracking, right? And they're starting to change their behavior. And they know someone's going to inspect their journal. Right. Exactly. They get mindful of it. And now they're like, well, I didn't know. Like, Because the first thing a 600-pound person says, I'm not picking anyone because my, my family was very overweight. My dad at one point in time was over 400 pounds. He's now 200 pounds. I was 100 pounds overweight. I get it. Okay? So I don't judge them by any means. But they always say the same thing. You know, I just don't eat that bad. I'm like, I understand. They're like, I don't eat that much. I'm like, yes, you do. And we're going to have an open conversation about this because you don't get 600 pounds without eating your ass off. And that's okay. You know what I mean? That's okay. And I tell them that and that's okay. And I'm not going to pull those foods away from you because until you've made the mindset shift of this stuff, I can't pull them away from you because right now that's your safety blanket. When you have a bad day, that's everything you're going to go through. Totally. I can just get you to control your calories and I can get you to be mindful of your choices. I'm not taking away your security blanket yet. And then what I have seen, which has been so profound, and I switched to this a couple of years ago, is once they're ready to make the change, they'll ask the right questions. Like, could I make this go faster? Or should I eat more fruits and vegetables? And of course, we, we, we emphasize those things. And I give them a food list. And I say, look, 80% of the time, I need you what's on this food list. 20% of the time, which I'll break that down for that person, which can be a couple to two, three meals a week. I'm like, you can eat whatever the hell you want, as long as you don't go over your calories. That's all I care about. And they lose weight constantly. And I'll, I'll let people move forward or backwards to control the pace of the program. So if you're like, I'm having a terrible week, I'm super stressed out, you know, normally in the past people quit because they're like, I can't take this anymore because you've taken away their security blankets, right? Sure. But when I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to quit and you don't have to change your food. And I'll tell them like, I give everybody a free what I call fuck it day. And if you're really struggling and you had a really bad day and all you want is McDonald's, I'm like, it's totally fine then, but you have to track your calories. It has to stay within your calorie windows, but you can have that. And then there's no quitting. There's no starting and stopping. There's no starting on Monday. And there's no binge restrict cycle. There's no like, right. well, I failed today. So now I'm going to eat my face off tonight so I can start over. There's none of that anymore. And that was actually the biggest epiphany for me. Yeah. And when they're ready, and as you see these weekly meetings, which is really profound, you see their food choices evolve. The next right. thing you know, they get better. And now they eat more protein. And now they eat more fruit and vegetables. And now they eat less junk food. Because now they're aware, when I, when I take away, I said, there's no motion to your food journal, and I'm not going to judge you. 
Your food journal is data and it is your checking account register. Every day you have a financial budget. When I give them your calorie count, I said, you have, like, say it's 2000. Like you have $2,000 today to spend. That's it. Go beyond that. You go into debt. And once you remove the emotion and teach them that, then they're starting to go through their journal. And I said, okay, so that Starbucks that was 900 calorie milkshake you had, that's a very expensive food in terms of your financial budget. So then we look at how we can curtail that and they can still have some things. You can shave those calories back and now they have room for other things. And then they shift into more very whole foods that are very nutrient dense, they're low calorie. And now they're eating like pounds of food that's all healthy because I tell them the number one thing that's going to break this diet and you're going to lose your progress is if you get hungry. So if I can keep you fed, I can keep you compliant. If I can keep you full, I can keep you on track. So that's where we're shifting more focusing on what, how much low calorie, you know, like, you know, like yeah. nutrients, how much can that can I eat? Right. And then we, we get them shifted toward that. And people always make that change on their own. That's what we call unconditional permission because yeah. psychologically, oh. right. When we know that we don't have foods that are off limits, we're going to be a lot less likely to want to overeat those things. If I know I can have chocolate cake every day, mm-hmm. well then I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be a lot less likely to say, fuck it. And when I do have the chocolate cake in front of me, I'm going to take one bite and be like, Oh, I blew it. I might as well eat the whole thing. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be able to see this sucker again. Exactly. hundred percent. And so you I remove love that. the forbidden, you really, what you really do and I explain to is that we're going to remove all the forbidden fruit effect that you have put on these foods. That's one of the reasons why you have a hard time with them. When you, I literally had this client today. She's 83. She's my oldest client. She has dieted her entire life. Like her mom, when she was 10 years old, sent her to fat camp. I mean, it's like Dude, the yeah, worst. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. The worst thing you can imagine. And she's 150 pounds and she looks great. So we got her to her goal. I finally educated her on it is just calories. Because she was under the impression like, well, I don't understand why I'm not losing weight because I eat perfectly clean foods. I'm like, yeah, you do. And you eat too many calories. I don't care if it's covered in, you know, sprinkled in fairy dust from whole foods and it's organic and it has a halo effect. Like it's still too many calories. Right. And so once she really kind of understood that and moved emotion away from her food choices and not of that beating myself up and now I'm not supposed to have this chocolate cake. So I'm going to eat the whole thing and blow my day. It's like now she can easily be like, I have a bite. I taste it. I'm good. I move on with my day. And I now yeah. she has the flexible mindset instead of beating herself up and being so rigid. I have to eat these perfect foods. I can never have carbs. I can never have sugar. I'm like, what's that going to last like a day? What are you going to do the first day you have a crappy day at work? That's what we use these foods for is to put up discomfort and we self-medicate with foods. That's what it's all for. And once you educate them, they're like, oh, and she said the most really cool thing. I think it was yesterday in our training session. She goes, you know, I was looking at my journal and I, and this is a, this is a self-diagnosed sugar holic, right? She's like anything with sugar. She would, she couldn't control herself. And I don't comment on this. I like to see if they get these epiphanies. And she was like, I haven't eaten pressed sugar for like almost a month now. I said, yep. And she's like, I wonder why all of a sudden I just forgot about it and gave up sugar. I said, cause you've now realized it is about managing your calories. It's not about perfect food choices to get to your goal. You have gotten to your goal, still having some fun foods. I don't call them cheap foods because of the mega plantation of that whole thing. Call them fun foods. So you've had some of your fun foods, right? And you're at your goal and you've learned that you can still stay there and have your cake and eat it too. Just can't have it every meal, every day, but it can be a part of your life. It's not going to make you fat. And if we keep your calories in the deficit, there's nothing left to store anyway. So whenever we're about insulin, all this other crap, and you just clear people's heads, Yep. Next thing you know, you're like, wow, this is a pretty easy process. I don't think that the psychology is that much different, you know, with someone who's morbidly obese and any other person that's overweight, it's probably just different, you know, varying levels of extremeness. But I'm confident that someone who's morbidly obese is is probably beating themselves up just the same. It's that they're not stupid. It's like, hey, I know that these foods are not good for me, but clearly 
you know, they're serving me in some capacity from a, a psychological and almost like a survival mechanism standpoint as to why I'm eating them to comfort myself. So when you do give someone permission to consume those things, it completely changes the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I can appreciate. I and mean, this is not dissimilar to what we do around the objective nature of, listen, it still does matter how many calories you're consuming, regardless of whether you're eating quote unquote clean foods or otherwise. And so you'll help them be able to create that budget. You'll, you'll establish, essentially establish a baseline over a couple of weeks mm-hmm. of just show us what you're eating. Let's create some awareness around it, right? I'm sure invariably people start to make better decisions by virtue of acknowledging, shit, I just had a 900 calorie frappuccino. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's probably not the best decision. Mm-hmm. So if I was to make a better decision, they have autonomy to be able to drive that decision on their own, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful part of the process. I'm sure you can agree. Mm-hmm. And so how do you start to infuse exercise into the mix? It's a great question. So we focus on a five acronym process called DRESS, which is diet, rest, exercise, stress management, and supplementation. And I say your weight loss goal will not be met with one of these by themselves. Your health goal, like when I'm working with somebody who's lupus or cancer or MS, I'm like, is not going to be met with just one of these. And it's not going to be met with just diet or exercise. And I can say, I can prove it because I did everything right and I still got cancer. I was an Olympic athlete. I have tracked my calories for 30 years. I have eaten clean most of my entire life. And I still got it. Okay. So there's other things that I was doing on the surface, creating problems, like mm. my attitude, my anger, like right. not prioritizing sleep, overtraining, taking way too much caffeine, being very rigid with my diet, which always created a stress, which really struggled with me emotionally and my binging behavior and those, which I would sometimes then take out on alcohol. When you understand the reward cascade that people do for dopamine, they're going to go to food, sex, money, alcohol, or drugs. And when you take one away, they're going to move to the next one. And you take one away, they'll move to the next one. This is why you take someone who has bypass surgery or stomach surgery, they'll become an alcoholic or a smoker pretty quick because they've got to shift that obsessive behavior into something else. And they're going to find exercise. And then you get these people who are like, I ran 17 miles today and I exercised and I didn't. You're totally. like, whoa, okay. Right. Too much of anything is a problem. So we just talk about the whole picture of health. And I really emphasize in the very first uh, meeting, especially on RABS, the first thing if I get a guy who's got really low testosterone, I said, do you snore? Do you wake up with headaches? They're like, yes, I mean, you have sleep apnea, go get a check. This is a problem. You will have a heart attack if this is not fixed. Your testosterone will never get better. You won't lose weight. You won't feel great unless this is fixed. And I see it in both sexes. And I see it a lot in people who are extremely stressed out and burnt out. They start to get sleep apnea. My wife is 104 pounds. And she was very stressed in corporate America and started developing sleep apnea. And she then, after 15 years, quit her job. And she, last year, we've been rebuilding her health. And now she's awesome. But it's the same expression. You cannot get well in the environment that got you sick. You do have to make changes. And it wasn't just a dietary change. My wife has never been vaccinated. She hasn't had an antibiotic one time in her life. She's never taken drugs. She doesn't smoke. She rarely drinks. She eats perfectly since she was a kid. And she's still got some of these issues. I'm telling you, it's way beyond diet and exercise. There's a whole component of emotional management and psychology and stress. And if you don't get a hold of that, you're never going to get better. It's so much deeper than exercise and calorie expenditure. And mm-hmm. calorie intake. It's so much mm-hmm. deeper. And so I, ho- I hope people can acknowledge that as you really have to root down. And this is part of the, the lifestyle change process. It's sometimes the, the, the lowest barrier to entry is in fact, to start tracking your calories or just to start to create more awareness around your nutrition decisions, because it lends itself to all of those other things. Okay. Well, what's my stress levels like? What's my sleep like? Well, what's my social support system like? Who am I surrounding myself with? How can I keep putting myself in these sabotaging positions? right? And on and on and on and how it lends itself to the, my coping mechanisms, right? And all of the way I, I deal with trauma and 
emotions from childhood and <laughs> right all yeah, of those totally, things but totally. it's uh, it's the real deal so i think the best things that people can do i like your acronym dress acronym diet rest exercise stress supplementation because it all matters but it doesn't matter if you're not taking steps to make improvement and so mm-hmm. yeah, i think we're in agreement that there's no one right way to start to make change you just have to start totally. somewhere and it's going to be different for everyone. So whatever's like the low hanging fruit for you, I feel like I can just start walking on a daily mm-hmm. basis. I can start tracking totally. my calories. I can start mm-hmm. strength training. You know, I can stop hanging around with people that aren't serving me uh, and my decisions. I want to respect your time. So we'll start to kind of wrap sure. things up here. I, I'd love to know from you, what's perturbing you about our industry right now <laughs> with, with respect to like nutrition and exercise you know, the fact that we're still having conversations around keto carnivore now, like liver King, what's up with that oh. stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So could probably go on all day. Yeah. That could, that could be a week long conversation, but um, I think, and I've been thinking about this and the way I've tried to explain it is a lot of people will just give snippets of either a fact or a piece of information, but they don't finish the conversation. So for example, insulin makes you fat. How does insulin by itself right. make you fat? I have rail thin type one diabetics who inject 50 units in the day and they're still rail thin. So if they're injecting insulin, why aren't they fat? So right. just some of these things that don't die, the verbiage just keeps getting respun into popular culture. And then you have people regurgitated online because social media gives everybody a voice and unfortunately most people should not be talking. Regardless of what the fucking topic is, it drives me insane. It could be politics, it could be I mean it's anything. You yeah. have a majority of uneducated people talking about things. And unfortunately, in our world, people can get hurt and people can die. And I'll give you a great example. When I did keto seven years ago, the only reason I did it is because a lot of my clients are, I got to do keto. I'm like, it's not the magic bullet you think it is. And I will do it and I will track all of my labs and you can see what will happen before I let you do it. And what would happen in the first six weeks, my cholesterol went from 150 to it was almost 400 in the first three weeks. My liver enzymes went up past 70. I started getting tons of gallbladder pain and liver pain, and I did not do well. And my stools turned about as pale as they can be, which means now you go to jam gallbladder, now you get bile salts out. I had tons of digestive issues. I was incredibly dehydrated, which is what's going to happen to go low carb because you're going to dump all your electrolytes. And then I ended up in the emergency room and my appendix had ruptured. I got sepsis and almost died. And I almost lost my gallbladder. And I had struggled with digestive issues for two years after that surgery and after that, because they put me in a week-long antibiotic. And as I dug through all this and became vegan, you see then all the chinks in the paleo movement, right? When you actually start looking at research for other things, you actually start to see where other people are wrong, what they keep us. And then even the same thing in the vegan world. Well, broccoli has more protein than steak. I'm like, if you eat 17 pounds of it, but yeah, no exactly. one's going to eat that, that's ridiculous. Like, right. that's stupid. So you get, like I said, these little pieces of conversation get spun out there that people don't really understand. They don't finish explaining. That's probably my biggest frustration. So what about carnivore? <laughs> I think carnivore is a great elimination diet if you yeah. have massive digestive issues and you can yeah. run for a very short amount of time. I have actually never run carnivore diet, even on clients who have lupus. And even on the clients who have the worst digestive problems in the world, I don't run it. I just run low FODMAP. I adjust the foods that they really don't do well with. I pull it out, they get better. There's no reason to pull the carbohydrates out. They get extremely tired oh, and they're already dehydrated. It's mind boggling and it is dangerous, man. I can't tell you how many clients I've had come to us having done keto with a removed gallbladder. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you probably had a similar oh. situation. You're like, they're like, tell me more about when you did keto. Well, I, you know, stools or digestion was awful. Yeah. And I'm seeing here that you had a gallbladder removed. So yeah. why again, were you doing that? And 
Oh, it's nuts. Anyway, yeah, we got to be careful out there, people. Like, really, there, there is no magic bullet here. And let, let's use some common sense uh, around the way that we're eating. There's nothing wrong with, with vegetables, despite the fact that they have phytic acid in them. I know, right? You know? I think um, a big problem with that, honestly, is social media and you get people who look great. Who yeah. recommend certain things You're like, well, that guy's clearly jacked, or that woman's clearly jacked, so they know what they're doing. I'm gonna copy what they're doing. You don't understand what they're actually doing behind I, the scenes. I don't doing. listen at the end of the day. I firmly believe that everyone has the best intentions in totally. mind. Everyone yes. just wants to help and, and they found something that clearly works for them and maybe works exactly. with a subset of clientele. And so you can cherry pick research as much as you want. Mm-hmm. And just have a, a binary focus on, well, the studies and the, the, the quote unquote research that serves your intentional money-making dietary regime and support that stuff. And unfortunately, you can find enough validation out mm-hmm. there of people and doctors and quote unquote sure. experts that are going to be able to support your claim to the degree that you can build an entire movement around ketogenic dieting, around carnivore, around whatever it is that you want to do. And, and I do believe that people have the best intentions in mind, but I think that we have to continually challenge ourselves with, you know, that there is no one right way and acknowledge that if they're perceived as an expert, it's it's their responsibility to acknowledge that mm-hmm. and not be a zealot mm-hmm. around those types of things. And that's what I really have a, a massive, a massive mm-hmm. problem with as well. All of the sound bites of information. Anyways, man, um, this has been awesome. It's always great having a conversation. Is there anything that you think would be you know, valuable to share with our listeners? Anything that, you know, any new thing that you're, you're working on, studying, researching mm-hmm. right now that's, that's interesting? Yeah, I think... A good point to leave it on and kind of touched on earlier after looking at all the different nutritional philosophies, doing different diets myself, really researching them, and then finding the holes in them. The answer for everything is in the middle. It's not extremes. And I think that that would be the most important thing to get across is like, do you need a little bit of protein? Yes. Do you need mega amounts of protein? No. Do you need no protein? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like everything is just in the middle. Do you need a little fat? Yes. Do you need 400 grams a day? No. It's like, it's always in the middle is really what you'll come back and find. It's not sexy because people think the more extreme it is, man, well, the more extreme results I'm going to get. No, it's just harder to follow and it's a pain in the ass and it probably won't be sustainable. That's why. And that's people get attracted to that. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you reinforcing the mission that we are always preaching towards uh, and, and really working to help change people's belief system around what it means to be healthy. So that's awesome, Matt. Such a pleasure. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can find me on my website, which is mattterryfitness.com. So it's three T's in the middle, M-A-T-T-T-E-R-R-Y, fitness.com. Fun fact, I think actually the last time we were together was four years ago. And I actually had a client reach out to me after she heard your show. And I have actually worked with her ever since. And I trained her today. And I trained her virtually. That's amazing. She's actually in South Carolina avoiding the hurricanes right now. That's awesome. I love hearing that. So we're spreading the love, creating impact. That's what it's all about, brother. Keep up the good yep. work and we will catch up soon. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have an awesome day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. 
3. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. 4. Leave a 5-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 